I think a lot of course creators assume that their students know why it matters, whatever the it is, why this lesson matters, why this activity matters. But you can do everyone a favor by telling them in writing, in your videos, in your directions, over and over again. No one gets upset when you remind them how this is going to benefit them. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Reagan, and you've discovered Unicorns Unite. This is a podcast for freelancers, service providers, virtual assistants, and curious listeners who would like to experience the freedom and flexibility of working virtually. We're the magic makers, movers and shakers, and the real people doing the work behind the scenes of online businesses. Welcome to Unicorns Unite. Welcome back. I'm your host, Emily Reagan, a fellow freelancer. I've been in this space for quite some time. And one of the core services I've done is help my clients build and launch digital products. This opens a lot of doors when it comes to course creation, curriculum design, support documents, designing slide decks, building out the course inside products like Kajabi or Teachable, and then actually marketing them and then fulfilling them right to your customers. So I can totally upload anything a client wants into Kajabi. I can use my brain to format it and link all the right documents and add the surveys and the quizzes and the assessments. I can be all very organized, but when it comes to clients and creating a course on behalf of them, I'm no good. (laughs) We need some help. I do not have an education background. I am not a curriculum design specialist, but there's obviously an art to designing and writing a course where students get through to the finish line, where they have success, and we can be a part of that success as a digital marketing assistant when we understand how people learn and how they consume digital products and how things can be set up. A lot of us get asked to help out in this process, and it's been really great income for me as a mom of four who needs flexible work so I can go to the orthodontist, so I can volunteer for the school field trip, and course creation is just growing. Right now, the e-learning market is expected to hit $400 billion by 2026. So this is a huge opportunity for us freelancers to support clients who are tapping into this digital source of revenue. I see all the jobs. We share them inside our digital marketers work group and with our UDMA students. We share some of these jobs and clients need help all the time. They need to be focused on recording their content, creating their content, marketing their content, and then they need somebody who is tech savvy and can figure things out and upload and help build the course inside these other platforms. So this podcast is your leg up when you can really help beyond just clicking the upload button. Today's guest is Kat O'Brien, and she's going to teach us how we can help our clients create an effective, successful online course. Because I know a lot of us are coursed out. Raise your hand if you have a bunch of courses collecting that digital dust sitting over there that you keep meaning to get to. We don't want that to happen with our clients' courses. We need to be able to know and we need to be able to point out to our clients when there is room for improvement and how to get more people consuming the course, right? How we can make their course be successful can mean higher graduation rates, more engagement, more consumption. It could mean testimonials which then all feeds into the marketing ecosystem and the success stories and how we build social proof and then turn around and launch the course again. First, meet Kat O'Brien. She's a curriculum designer for online course creators and the founder of Kat O'Brien Agency. 
She does one-on-one curriculum design services, and she empowers course creators to elevate student success, cultivate powerful social proof, and become the sought-after educator in their industry. I'll have all her links to Kat's website where you can go meet her over on Instagram below in the show notes. So today we are going to talk about some of that shady business we see in the online space, all of the false promises, and there's so many tantalizing case studies that convince us that our problems will be fixed if we just sign up for this one course. But really, the most important thing is not all the social proof, it's that students are having success because people talk. Testimonials say everything. Kat today is going to talk about the number one mistake she sees with course creators, how you can help fix low engagement and lack of success, and how people are teaching the wrong kind of content and focusing on the wrong things. She'll have really good insight that you can take back to your clients. Use all of this positioning to put yourself outside of that hourly rate and more inside the strategic partner who is part of their business's launch and digital course creation success. But before we get into any of that, I want you to try this new productivity shot that I've gotten called Magic Mind. It's organic, it's natural, it's green, it's good for your body, and it will replace all that caffeine you're drinking. Whether you're a coffee drinker, a monster drinker, maybe your tea, I don't know, five-hour energy, it has none of the side effects of all that yucky caffeine. The founder has a really interesting story about how he was drinking too much coffee. Hands up, that's me. I was on three, four cups a day, and he wanted to find a solution that was healthy, but would actually get him through the day. And for me, it's that afternoon slump where I don't really want to work between two and five o'clock. But sometimes that's prime real estate for me to get things done and be in the zone, especially when it comes to my client work or cranking out any kind of writing. And I want to be fast and efficient and not make a lot of mistakes. So before dinner comes, before I start chauffeuring the kids all around, I need that energy to show up for them. I like to get that boost of energy from Magic Mind. Now go below to the show notes because you can get it now at a steal of a deal. Just go to magicmind.com slash Jan unicorns. That's J-A-N for January and then unicorns. And you can use my code unicorns20 to get an extra 20% off. So if you subscribe for three months to Magic Mind, that'll be like 75% off. And this is their current deal right now. It won't be around forever. I encourage you to try it. I even sent some to my twin brother. He's a pilot. We know we need him to stay awake when he's flying, not that he has a problem. And I just do not think you need to put unhealthy things in your body like Rockstar drinks. No offense, Rockstar or soda. Sorry, soda drinkers. Don't load up on sugar, lattes, frappuccinos, and all that crap. Put something healthy in your body and help you do the work you've been putting off in your own business. Maybe the things you really need to buckle down and do for your clients with your brain on. I know for me, I want the best of the best. I want to do exceptional services and I don't want to make mistakes. So check out Magic Mind again in the show notes and let's crush your goals in 2024. When you do try it, I totally want to hear from you and what you think because I'm obsessed. All right, now let's talk about curriculum design, objectives, practical application, reflective exercises, and different learning styles with Kat O'Brien. Hey, Kat, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here helping our marketing assistants get more clear on how we can help our clients with their courses because a lot of our clients are digital course creators and helping them really deliver an exceptional course. So tell everyone hello, a little bit about you and all the good stuff. 
first of all, I'm very honored to be here. I, I have been a very long time listener and I just am really excited to be in this space with you. So as you said, I'm Kat O'Brien and I work with online educators. So people who have online courses, online group coaching programs, or whatever form their online education takes to strengthen the design of their curriculum so that their students experience more success, so that their social proof is easier to gather. And then as you follow that snowball, they have easier launches, they become better known, and really just their businesses can take off. But the root of that as an online educator is really all about student success. And so that's what I help my clients with. I love that. We're going to really dive into that. But I think all of us have taken some bad course or some bad program out there. There's always ways to do it better. So we'll dive into that more. But tell everyone where you got started and how you got into this world. Because I always find it so interesting that we don't all just have this direct path to online business. Yes. Oh, my gosh. If you had told me three years ago, even like two years ago, that I'd be doing what I am now, I probably would have laughed in your face. So (laughs) for me, if we rewind the tape back to when COVID hit 2020, I feel like a lot of stories now start or pivot at COVID. I was teaching high school in Chicago. That's where I live. In some ways, felt like I was on top of the world. I was teaching AP literature, which had been a longtime goal of mine as a teacher. It was my favorite class to teach. And I felt like in a groove. I was in a school that respected me. So things were good. And then when COVID hit and we went remote for over a full year of school, Mm -hmm. I lost all of that and felt very unsatisfied with what I was doing every day, felt very unchallenged, felt like I had more to give the world than what I was able to within the constraints of online teaching. And I saw an Instagram ad for a copywriting course and was like, let's do this. Like, I need an outlet. We're still working from home for the foreseeable future. So I learned copywriting and really enjoyed it. But even at that time, didn't think I'd make a career of it because it was a COVID project, right? Like some people learn to make bread. I learned how to copyright. (laughs) Now, (laughs) what ended up happening was my husband and I actually quit our, he's also a teacher. So he and I both quit at the end of the 2021 school year. So in that spring, and we did some long-term travel. So I was like, amazing. I just learned how to copyright. I'm going to do this on the side, make a little extra money to support us on our traveling. And I did that for a year and worked probably 10 hours a week or so. Loved it. Super flexible. Was not really aware of how to run a business or make it profitable, but was really just flexing those muscles and learning how to copyright. And when we came back from traveling, I started applying to teaching jobs because it's like, okay, we're back in Chicago, need to make a real income. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get myself to do it. I feel like I had tasted freedom. I knew what it was like to work for myself. I knew what it was like to like build something for me, from nothing, not from nothing, of course, but build something and see income that directly came from you know, the business that I was building. And so that was the moment that I was like, I am going to try to make this a career. So I niched into launch copywriting, which meant that I was working with a lot of online course creators, group coaching programs. And part of my job, of course, copywriting is a marketing role. So part of my job was to develop those sales pages and find social proof. So I'm talking to my clients, students, and trying to get those really juicy testimonials, those really juicy 
case studies that you see all over their sales pages. And I learned in that process that it's really not always very easy to get that social proof. Students weren't making quite the level of growth. They weren't experiencing the level of student success that I thought they were when I was on the other side. When I'm looking at the sales pages, when I'm reading the emails, it looks like everyone inside these programs are making these incredible transformations. And what I discovered once I got into that copywriting role was that that was sometimes the exception, not the rule. And that the minority of students were getting those really juicy transformation stories. And a lot of students really struggled with that. So I'm like, okay, something's going on here because there's a whole lot of layers of questions, I guess, going on in my head of like, is everyone doing this? Is this happening for every course? And of course it's not. There are a lot of really good programs out there. And what I was finding with some of my clients was that they were really good at selling their programs. They were really good at marketing and they had packaged up their expertise putting that in quotes because that's what everyone says, package up your expertise (laughs) and sell it for buku bucks. But what they hadn't done was really stepped back and considered their students' experience and the moves that they could make as the educator that actually moved the needle for their students, that actually helped them make growth. So that's how I ended up here as a curriculum designer. Long story long, I realized that there was a gap in the way that people learn how to design and create online courses in this world of ours of online business. And I knew that I had some expertise. So I really dove into online learning, adult learning, and built on, you know, the four-year education degree that I had. I had already been studying how people learn, how humans make growth. And I've just started applying it to online programs to help course creators or group coaching facilitators have more meaningful growth for their students. Oh my gosh, there's so much to unpack there. Just full disclosure, I come from the Amy Porterfield world. I'm going to call that out. But what I find is so many business owners are being sold this dream of a course, don't know what they're doing. And I've been through DCA. It was very helpful. I signed up so I can learn webinar launching, but I did not sign up so I could learn how to do a course. And, and you know, she walks you through some of those steps. And I'm not trying to diss Amy here. I'm just trying to call this out. I have seen so many crappy courses and I've seen so many people who just don't know what they're doing. Or they're taught to like, oh, just do beta, just go live and do whatever. And so yeah. it kind of blew my mind, me being in the back end of several businesses, seeing who's actually organized has that, what would we call that? Like an outline? I don't know. I'm sure there's like a better word. No, like an outline. Yeah. I mean, that's basic. Like it feels basic, right? But yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. And I don't mean to be a hater. And I know I'm coming off a little bit as a hater, but it's not (laughs) course creators. You know, it's not your fault if you don't know, right? But it's your responsibility to learn because you are making these promises that you're going to educate and help your students grow. And exactly what you say, I think there are programs that teach you how to package up your expertise and sell a course, right? Of course, they help you build the program, but they're also really focused on marketing and selling your program. Like you said, like a webinar, right? Because for them, they make money when their students can sell their course and their Mm -hmm. students can sell their course if they know how to you know, run a really good webinar or have a really good sales page. And so what I am doing is just really trying to fill that gap and put a spotlight on the students and the student experience inside those programs so that 
you know, that really juicy student success isn't, you know, the exception that that's the rule and that that's the trend that we're seeing as opposed to, you know, just the minority, like a couple handful of students here or there. Oh my gosh. So I've been in the same boat. I've been behind over a hundred different businesses and I had to do the same thing, kind of go in and get the testimonials and the social proof. And I remember one specific client where I went in and did these interviews and this was like quite a few years ago and they were more open with me telling me things that they would never say to the client's face. And it was kind of shocking. And it's like, then I kind of had to figure out how do I tell the client this? And it's not that her program was horrible. It's just that it could have been better, right? These students were afraid to say anything because like you do get spotlighted by your mentor. There are rewards for being the good student and being in the case study and kind of glossing over some things. And so it's just like a tricky tricky little place to be, really. Yeah, it really is. When you're that in-between, when students are telling you things that could be improved, and then you're sitting on that information, you have to go back to your client, the course creator, who's poured their heart and soul into this, by the way, and who really want it to be good and say, hey, you know, these pieces are missing the mark. Yeah, that's, that's a fine line. Oh my gosh. So tell me what you said right before we hit record. We were just talking about changes with courses in 2024 and how we're just becoming more aware of what's happening in this space. And part of it is because we have taken some bad courses. People are, you know, being more careful where they put their money. But what are you seeing in this? I'm going to say digital course to keep it simple. But obviously, like you said, there's group coaching programs, there's still memberships. Like it's all kind of like packaged in one in my brain. Yeah, I agree. There's so much language (laughs) and so many different nuances. It's helpful to have that one term. So for, like you said, we've all taken courses. And if you haven't taken a crappy course, you either really do your homework or I feel like you've gotten lucky because during COVID, just like I was like, let me do this new business venture. There was an explosion of online courses of so many people with extra time, so many people with stuff to share, right? With more to give the world, just like I said. And then they built these online courses. And as we just went over, not always with all of the resources they needed in order to build a program that really helps students. And so people are definitely getting more picky. If you are in the marketing space and you are working with course creators, you probably know this. It's getting harder to sell online courses. And in my opinion, I think that's a good thing. I think it should be you know, the bar should be raised a little. I think you should have to, you don't always, of course, in the beginning, you don't have a proven track record of student success, but you should be able to speak to the strategies that you're using that focus on your students as learners and what you're doing to actually move the needle for them. So I'm really hopeful that I think this is a trend that's going to continue. People will continue to get pickier and that people will be looking for courses that integrate curriculum design and that are being really strategic about the building and the designing and some of those strategies that they're using. Okay. So I first heard the term curriculum design maybe two years ago. Yeah, I know. You know, and I've been in online business for over a decade. Had never heard that. I also don't have a, you know, education background. I did substitute a little bit, but that doesn't mean I did anything. Well, really most, and most people video. don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so can you break that down? Give us a definition. What really does that look like in this space? For yeah, someone absolutely. like me who didn't know. <laughs> and so that's part of it too, right? I know that people are not familiar with that term. 
when I started this, I know I'm going to get right back to your question. When I started this, you know, I'm a copywriter. I'm thinking about messaging. I'm thinking people don't know curriculum design. If I call myself a curriculum designer, it'll get lost in translation. But I, again, I'm sticking with it because I really am that hopeful. And right now I'm feeling really confident that it's going to become part of our normal vocabulary when we talk about online courses. So when we talk about curriculum design, so curriculum is, you know, you might have heard that word from when you were back in school. It is really the content that you are teaching and the way that you design the learning experience or like that, yeah, the, we'll say the learning experience for your students because, and this is something, again, to go back to what we were saying before, when you build an online course, it's not about you. You're not writing a book. You're not recording a podcast. So when people are saying, hey, just package up your expertise, that's fine if you want to do that in a book. But if you're going to promise student transformation, then you need to get really strategic about what your students can do with your teaching and designing experiences that allow them to actually make that growth. So curriculum design is using what we know based on science, because believe it or not, we have hundreds of years of people researching how humans learn and grow. So we can apply that to online courses and thinking through who exactly am I designing this for? Who is my audience? What do they need? What can I do as the educator to keep them motivated, to keep them engaged, and to make their learning feel really accessible? And I will also say that as a course creator, you are never responsible for 100% of your students, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. And you have to look at the trends. So if there is a trend of students not finding the success that you're promising on your sales page that they're buying into, or if there's a trend, like a lot of like trends I see are, you know, students drop off after module three, no one shows up to the group coaching call, or no one, you know, submits work for feedback, whatever that individual trend is, there are ways for you to press pause take a step back and then consider, okay, so what strategies can I use that I can like integrate into the design of how I am conveying my content, my curriculum, in other words, that will actually make this easier and more accessible for my students. Does that mean going back to the drawing board and re-recording everything? Like, what does that really mean? <laughs> no, not always. In my experience, I've never seen a program that needs to do that because it's so much more than recording videos. So usually, and this is, you know, it so depends on the problems that you're experiencing if you're a course creator of what the next right step is. Mm -hmm. But usually what I like to do is zoom out. So let's imagine that we're having this problem where students are dropping off after module three. Let's just run with that. So if you came to me with that issue, there's a lot of things we can do. We're, of course, going to be talking to your students and hearing about their experience. But another thing, like even without that, we're going to zoom out and look at what is the goal of your whole course, right? And look at that outline that you mentioned, but we're not going to start with the content. A lot of people will call this backwards outlining. We start at the very end. We start where your students end up. So if you are promising whatever it is, like you are going to be able to make the perfect cup of hot chocolate, right? So you have to break that down first into what skills do my students need to develop in order to meet that goal? Not what should I teach? What skills do my students need to develop? And then you can think, okay, if they need to be able to 
boil water for hot chocolate. This is a bad example. <laughs> we need to think about like, okay, what, what experiences do they need to have in order to know how to boil water? Because they can listen to you talk about boiling water. They can watch a video of you boiling water, but that's not the same thing as standing at the stove and actually bringing water to a boil. So your program is not really about your content. It's a container for experiences that your students have that allow them to develop one skill after the next and actually make that growth. Yeah, totally. Because that stove could be a electric or a gas or I don't know, maybe you're at a campfire. Like it could be completely right. different. Right. So yeah, you can't just expect them to jump in there and know what you're talking about. Okay. So to bring back to where we started. So if people are dropping off after module three, we're going to look at the experiences that you're walking them through. And we're also going to look at what we know about adult learners. So okay. we know adult learners are problem-oriented, which means that they come to you to solve their problems. I think it's safe to say that no one's going to invest their time and energy and money into a program unless they have a problem. Whether that problem is they can't make the perfect cup of hot chocolate and they really want hot chocolate or something that's a little bit more higher stakes, it's usually higher stakes, they have a problem they want to solve. So what you can do is constantly remind them why you are doing what you're doing and how it's going to bring them closer to solving their problem. A huge mm -hmm. hurdle that I see course creators experience is a lack of engagement, like we're talking about, where people drop off after a certain module. And that's usually just because it's the way they frame what they're asking students to do. Adult learners are intrinsically motivated. They're not going to watch your videos just because you tell them they should. They're going to watch your videos because your videos help them solve their own problem. So if you can constantly connect to the problem that they're solving, incredibly explicit about what it is that you're asking them to do, why and how it's going to benefit them. And remember that these are adult learners and that they want to feel in control of their learning. So we're not acting like they're children. You will see an increase in engagement because there's no way that they're going to miss that connection between why it matters. I think a lot of course creators assume that their students know why it matters, whatever the it is, why this lesson matters, why this activity matters. But you can do everyone a favor by telling them in writing, in your videos, in your directions, over and over again. No one gets upset when you remind them how this is going to benefit them. Oh, so I was just about to say, this is like the age-old copywriting advice of feature versus benefit right? Yeah. So we're kind of oh, yeah. positioning it there instead of like, okay, let's talk about my course for a second. It is a doozy. It's very technical. But the mm -hmm. end goal is you have solid services that you can get paid for, right? So if what you're saying is I can just tie it back to that end goal every time that they'll just yeah. be more motivated. Yeah. And taking it further because why do they want these skills, right? And I don't know exactly you know, who your audience is, but maybe it's, they want to be able to spend more time with their kids at home. So they want the freedom, right? Mm -hmm. or, or fill in the blank for all of these different reasons. So it's not just tying it to the end, like specific program goal, but the benefits of that. You're going to be able to spend more time with your kids when you, and then bring it back for them. When you <laughs> develop these skills and you're going to be able to develop these skills through these activities and these lessons that I'm walking you through. And that is why it's worth your time because I promise you, your students, this is not you, Emily, but also the proverbial <laughs> you, your students are strapped for time. Nobody has extra time, right? So it's really hard to get them to invest their time into your program. You're saying we can embed this type of 
belief shift within our own course. And it's not just like sending out an email being like, rah, rah, you can do this and this is your goal. So now I'm curious, how do we actually do that? Or like, how do we do it without re-recording everything? Yep. Okay. So it depends on the setup of your program. Okay. So what you can do is directions are actually a really big thing that I work with clients on because it's so easy to assume that our students know what to do, but you can, under each video, put a little paragraph or maybe not a whole paragraph, put a few sentences about what they're going to learn, why it matters, how it brings them closer to their goal. Those three things right there will help them invest their time into that video or that worksheet or that activity. If you have a live group coaching aspect to your program, that is an amazing space for students to bring their learning in and connect it to those real life problems and connect it to that real life outcome so that they're talking about, so they're thinking about, but it's even better if you can get them to say it out loud, like in a group coaching call, how this is going to benefit them. Okay. So don't leave the Kajabi description blank. (laughs) It's such a useful space. Don't leave it. And don't just say, here's your workbook with a link. Use that space. I mean, it can be so simple. So something I work with my clients on is writing objectives for every single lesson. Mm -hmm. Objectives are just, what is the outcome of this lesson? If we say it's an objective for the lesson, what is the actual outcome of this? And we make sure that that objective is skill focused. It's not, you will learn how to boil water because I can learn to boil water, or I like to use this example, like you'll learn how to make a grilled cheese sandwich. Well, my husband and I have both learned that, but our skill level is very different. From him, you're going to get some burnt bread and some cheese that probably isn't melted, right? So when we think about the skill level, we frame objectives around students will be able to make that perfectly brown and crispy grilled cheese with ooey gooey melted insides or, okay, that was kind of weird, but whatever it is. And then as you are thinking about the content that you do have, it just keeps the focus on that skill more than it does on the content that you're teaching. So if you have a video, usually, again, videos aren't the issue because there does need to be instruction. There does need to be some foundational like knowledge acquisition. And that's great. But then it's more about like, okay, so then what are you asking students to do with that video? right? Mm -hmm. Is it watch it and move on and watch another and watch another? Or is there a pause? Is there a reflection activity that you can build in? Is there a, you know, a worksheet or a different like real life applicable exercise that you can create to build upon your video? Because I know it takes so long to record videos, but usually we can tweak the exercises or the activities that accompany those videos to be a little bit more experience centered and less content centered. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I am in a course right now. I'm actually in two. One of them I'm making really slow progress because it takes some deep work to do. But every time there's a new video, I like groan. And I'm like, (laughs) I paid big money for this, but I'm just like, oh, and they're short. She's following the rules. Like they're short videos, they're bite sized, but like, I mean, some of it is my own why and me, like managing my own time. Like, let's be real. And the other one I'm getting through faster, but I think there's a little bit less work, but I don't think I'm retaining it. Yeah. Well, so that makes me wonder, again, what are you doing with it? Yeah. So if if students are groaning every time someone releases a video, it feels (laughs) bad. I mean, calling myself out. (laughs) 
No, no, no. But I, but I don't think this is reflective of you. That's my point. I, I think, you know, my philosophy is a lot of this is the educator's responsibility. And I, again, I don't mean to be a hater against whoever this is, but I think, again, there's a few things if students are groaning. One, it's maybe that it's not super applicable to your problem. You signed up for that course because you have a problem. And maybe the problem is just that you're not as good at something as you want to be, right? And so if the videos aren't tangibly helping you solve that problem, it just feels like absorbing more content, more knowledge, and it doesn't lead to action. That's not going to be that helpful. The other piece that I'll inject here is that when course creators, in my experience, is this really comes from my copywriting days, when they encounter issues with students who aren't seeing the success that they want, they usually think it's a content problem and they add more. So they release more videos, they release more videos, they release more videos. And that sometimes might be the right move, but more often than not, it's not the right move. What you are doing when you add more content, when you release more videos, is you are making more work for your students. You are confusing them. You are distracting them. And you are just getting them to spend their time listening to you instead of spending their time putting their learning into action, applying it to their real life, practicing, maybe failing, right? Maybe you you put your learning into practice and you fail, but then you do it again and again and again. When we overstuff our programs with content, we overwhelm our students for sure. Mm-hmm. And we just make it harder. Like students don't need as much information as we think they do. They need only just enough information that's going to help them get out there and make real changes in their real life, right? No one benefits from extra videos unless it actually has a real life application. So that's so interesting that you feel that way about that course. It makes me (laughs) have so many questions. I'm like, let's dig in. It is so interesting because it is so related, but it's also I have my own accountability with that. Like, is this going to be my priority or not? And I'm calling myself out. It hasn't been. But I also got stuck on something I needed to work through, got some support that didn't quite help me do it. And Mm. I just kind of pause. And sometimes I do reach these moments where I need to stew on things. Like, I'm usually a fast action taker. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. But it is kind of interesting that I'm like, I am groaning. I'm literally groaning. I'm like, damn it, there's another video. (laughs) Well, because you want to be quote unquote successful, right? You want to quote unquote finish the course, whatever that means. And when, like we said, like it's just adding more to your plate, but you're right. There are so many factors. I can get on my high horse all day long about increasing student success. And this is the real world and people have their real priorities. And I guess what I am trying to say and what I dedicate my work towards at this point is making sure that the people whose priority it is to, you know, whatever it is, find and quote unquote success from your program that you, you again, the proverbial you deliver as the educator to whatever extent possible to make that accessible and achievable for your students. Yeah. What's been so interesting to me is, I mean, my course stemmed out of me recording techie trainings for my own team, my own agency, and having to explain high-level strategy of why I'm doing it. And so I package that in a course, like how how I start with the marketing work and like working it through and building it. What I did not know, which sounds really dumb, but I didn't know about different types of learners. I'm like a zenial, like I'm right there where we we didn't really know about all the other options. 
you know, at first I thought, oh, this just means uploading like an SRT file and having the transcript and the captions. Like now I've appeased different learners, but I'm realizing that some people are visual. Some people are like printing out the slides. Some people don't want the slides. Some people show up to the group calls. Some people never show up to the group calls. And it's just so fascinating that everybody has their own unique way of doing it. And I didn't think about this when I first started. I just knew like the only way I knew how to like teach the information. And even that has evolved. Like there's been a lot of evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have two things to say. So one, it's especially coming from a marketing background because it is ingrained into us that when you are creating marketing materials, that you have such a refined focus of your ICA, of who you're writing to, you're writing to that one specific person. Okay. When you're designing a course, you have to take into consideration a lot of different learners, a lot of different learning needs. Like you said, like some people need to print. Some people need to engage in group discussions. Some people need to asynchronous work, whatever it is. So there are definitely different learning needs. Absolutely. And the other thing I'm going to say is that the way most of us think about learning styles is not based in science. So there has been research done into learning styles and it is very, obviously it's like visual and auditory and kinesthetic and reading and writing. There's all these different learning styles and there are different ways that people learn. But the idea that you are somehow intrinsically inclined towards one and not the other, the science hasn't actually proven it. What the research has shown is that the magic happens when educators integrate all four or three, depending on who you ask, learning styles into one lesson so that you're getting visuals while you're hearing the auditory that encourages you then to go and have the kinesthetic or the hands-on experience. So we definitely all have preferences. I am a huge pen and paper person. I love reading. I love writing. I love taking notes and I love learning that way. And I know that my brain also likes to have that information in visual form and in auditory form. So what I really encourage my clients to do is to, for every single lesson, integrate all four learning styles. This is great for people who have those really strong preferences, like I'm an auditory learner, but it's also good for everyone because whether we know it or not, our brains love when we get the same information in multiple ways. Okay, so where my brain went there is you talk about this reflective exercise, like it really just kind of brings the lesson home. And for me, I learn a lot by doing and making mistakes and just doing. Like I've always been wired like that. Sometimes I would rather skip directions and just fail. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Every, you know? Everyone, everyone does, right? Yeah. So I would be the type that might like even skip straight to the exercise. But I don't see a lot of that. I don't see a lot of that in this space. Is mm. that like why people are trying to do all these certifications? Because they have seen a surge in that. I'm seeing like Kajabi come up with like baked assessments like you can bake in and quizzes. And then I'm seeing more courses like say at the end, like, okay, now you're you're certified, you completed it. Uh, and yeah. so does the assessment count as a reflective exercise that Kajabi offers just to keep it simple? So it can, but also not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Reflecting on your learning is a step that is really easy to skip as a student. It's like stretching after you work out. That's actually such a good analogy. So 
like you said, you skip right into the experience. Imagine you are like learning how to downhill ski, right? And you're just like, I don't even want to take the lesson. I just want to get in my skis and go downhill and fall a bunch of times and figure it out along the way. And in order to make growth, in that process, you're reflecting on what's working and what isn't. And so if you can bake moments into your program, you know, maybe it's at the end of each module, maybe it's after group coaching calls or whatever it is, multiple spaces throughout your program for your students to pause and think what went well, what didn't, you know, what did I learn, you know, whatever it is, how does this apply to my life? That reflection does a few things. Number one, it cements that learning into your brain. And that's because when you learn something new, it's a new neural pathway in your brain. And it's like you can think about it like walking a path across grass. So the first time you do it, that path doesn't really stick. It's not really there. But if you keep going over that path and if you keep revisiting that learning, in other words, that neural pathway deepens just like a footpath in grasswood, right? So when you reflect, you are strengthening that neural pathway because you're revisiting your learning that you just did, which is really powerful. Number two is baking in reflections when and in getting students to engage with them. And sometimes it's really great to get them to share. If you have a community to share reflections with one another, it really can help with engagement because your adult students really need to be able to assess their own learning. That's another reason why we talk about sharing objectives. So students can know concretely, did I quote unquote master this skill or not? And when they reflect and say, oh my gosh, yes, I did learn that, that reinforces that those time they're spending in your program is super valuable. It's getting them closer to their goals. And like we said, we know adults are goal oriented. And it means that if that was valuable, this next lesson or this next activity must also be valuable. So it keep them in your program. Yeah. That's like an ecosystem you're building there. Yes. Yes. It's like the snowball. It's just getting bigger and bigger. And then the third piece, which is really kind of cherry on top, but it's like the beautiful piece about baking in these micro reflections throughout your program is that when it does come time to gather that social proof, your students have had these experiences where they've written down or whatever it is, however they've reflected about their growth all along the way. And they can give you really detailed responses about their experience and the growth that they've made in your program, which just gets you better social proof, which makes your selling easier, which improves your reputation. And it just goes on from there. Yeah, the cycle continues. Oh, it's so fascinating. I I definitely think I can do a better job at that. But I'm also looking at things I've done. I'm like, okay, like I'm actually kind of doing a few of those moments. So Yeah. Nice to think about that it's actually helping them learn, like you said, and build it stronger. Oh, yeah. It's so big. And most course creators, like even if you don't know what you're doing, we've all had the experience of learning something at some point. You've been in school or you've learned a new skill like on the streets, quote unquote. And so like you do these teacher moves that are actually really helpful, whether or not you realize like the strategy behind them. And what I'm trying to help course creators do is just be a little bit more thoughtful and integrate even more of those and make them more intentional and explicit in their program. Okay. So how can we as marketing assistants kind of gather this for them, support course creators, but also maybe steer them toward getting a little more help? You know, like I just see so many opportunities here and it's almost a little overwhelming because as a marketing assistant, sometimes we are uploading the course into Kajabi. Sometimes we're building that support document or like you did, we're doing the testimonial gathering. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm just thinking of like, how can we have that conversation with our client that it can be better? And like, what could we do in the interim? So the first thing I'll say is if anyone in your audience has a formal background in education, and if that's you and you're listening, trust your instincts. I think for a long time, I thought my degree and my experience in K-12 education, so my certification is in grades 6 through 12, I thought it didn't translate over into what I was seeing in the online course creation world. Like I just felt maybe it was imposter syndrome, whatever it was. And I promise you, if you have a background in education, when you see these courses and you, you know, there's that like hesitation, like, ooh, I don't know about this, trust your gut and dig into that because everything that you've learned about how humans make change, about what it takes for a person to actually make growth and to learn is true for adults as well. It's not different. So that's the first thing I'll say. And I know that's not everyone, but for the subset of people who are educators, you are yeah. so primed for this type of work. I have a lot now, of teachers in my audience. So amazing. this is amazing. Yes. 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 There are so many teachers in this online business space. And I'm like, we all need to like unite. <laughs> <laughs> I have two on my team, actually, of my my small team. Two of them are Amazing. Teachers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are so many of us out here. Okay. So that's the first thing. The other thing that I'll say is, and this is for anyone, if you are working with a course creator, and so for one thing, some course creators are in this constant content creation mode because they just really like creating content, which can be a great thing. But if they aren't also seeing a trend of student success, it might be time to hit pause and go back to like refocus, not on the content, but instead on what are the skills we're trying to teach and what experiences are our students having. So again, not what are you teaching, but what are our students doing with their learning and how are they applying it to their real lives? And I think even just bringing that up to your clients if they're creating courses or group coaching programs and just reframing the mindset and the way that we approach courses to not what are we teaching, but what are our students doing? What are we facilitating? How are we creating a really safe space for our students to practice, to experiment, to try new things, to fail, and to then learn from that? Yeah, because I think a lot of our clients were after that whole idea of passive income that they just build it. Oh, yeah. It sells. I really feel like we want the human touch. We want the community that comes with it. I mean, I have this hybrid group coaching course model that go hand in hand, but that's because I know we need that extra, just that extra, you know? Oh, yeah. Communal learning is, and that's a whole other piece of this puzzle that (laughs) is so powerful. And I think you've had like community managers on here before, people talking about the importance of that. So definitely if the community aspect is weak, which is not uncommon. It's really hard to have a thriving online community of initially strangers. And you're listening to this, I would say go back and listen to those other episodes of this podcast because I've listened to them and learned a lot as well. Yeah, Shanna Lynn was great. I know you're talking about her. We've had a couple other like VAs who have been filling that role. Okay, so I'm gonna stir the pot for a second. Please. I was in a community and somebody announced that they created a course about how to use ChatGPT on ChatGPT. And I just thought like, oh no, this is exactly why we don't just want content, right? We want so much more than that. So I thought that was insightful. And like hearing that, I was like, I will never take your course, right? Like you're just like (laughs) throwing content at me here. But I do want to know how can we use AI in this process? And like, what are you doing? Because I feel like you're going to have some like juicy tip for us. 
Oh gosh, I wish I had a juicier tip. So, okay, so interesting you, that you've said that. And I've also talked to people who are like, I'm just going to use ChatGPT to make my course. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to use it to make your course? And I've never followed up with those people. The two different people told me that. And I'm like, I, good luck. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I am, I'll admit, I'm a chat GPT girly. I like to use chat GPT. I got really into it in the beginning. Like, I think it's just had like its first birthday. It told me the other day. So when yep. I do copywriting work, when I do messaging work, whatever it is, like, I really like to use it. This isn't the question you asked, but I really like to use it to inspire me to write in different ways. I don't always love its output, but I like to use it to have me like kind of expand the way I'm thinking about my messaging. So that's, that's a messaging answer for courses. Definitely the process that I like to focus on when in the beginning, when we're outlining courses is like we said, backwards outlining. So if you are like, I want to design a course about, well, in this case, it'd be like chat GPT. What are the skills that my students need to develop? And it could brainstorm for you. I would be really hesitant to only rely on AI for all of your outline and your content because there is such a human element to learning mm -hmm. that human nature and the human connection to like some of these pieces, like connecting it to their past experience and really focusing on their problems and how we're solving it. And chat GPT or other AI tools can be a great starting point, which I feel like you could copy and paste what I just said for a lot of different industries. It's a great starting point, yeah. right? And when it comes into actually like putting like the meat on those bones, you really have to know your students the same way as a marketer. You have to know your audience. You really have to know your students, their learning needs, where they're coming in, the promises that you're making. And then of course, yeah, adding that human element based on what you know about your learners. So definitely as a starting point to map out your program, if you already have a program mapped out, how could you use chat GPT to help? I don't know. It would require so much input yeah. based on your problem, your students, your course. That to me feels like more work. Like, okay, just yeah. oh my to me for 30 minutes and we can and we could come up with something quicker than it would take for you to input into an AI system. I was thinking that it could be used to create those support documents or workbooks. Mm -hmm. But I also think that if you're coming in there with a good outline and good listed objectives, like that really shouldn't be that hard, right? Like if you've already started, but maybe that could help someone who maybe didn't have that and they're working yeah. backward and they're just trying to kind of fix it on the fly, I guess. I don't know. I'm just like yeah. thinking out loud here. Maybe that would be better. You know, because yeah. I think that's where a lot of us are right now with our clients. Like, oh, we're having this awareness thanks to this podcast. Mm -hmm. And like, what could mm -hmm. we do right now in that moment? Maybe it's that. Yeah. Or just as a checkpoint, right? Like, here's yeah. this course promise. Here are my current like five modules that I'm going to outline. What am I missing? Right. And they might think of the gaps or the pieces you didn't think about. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm so curious to see what happens with these people who are just building courses with chat GPT. I, um, I don't know. I know. Maybe I should I, just like play with that when I have like an extra day of nothing, like and try I mean, to build my own course. Like with good it. content for you, a little spicy and like snarky. But I mean, it was yeah. not a good selling point for me, and I can't help but wonder, like, is it going to sell? I mean, I think that's one of the telltale signs we need to listen to for other clients, like you were saying. Like we have clients mm -hmm. who aren't getting the launches that they wanted, and I think the big takeaway from this podcast is it's so much more than 
the really good sales page. Like you touched on, and we really didn't even open that box, like testimonials, case studies, social proof, but it like comes down to the quality of the course. So like if their course isn't selling, like they don't always want to hear that. I did have to do this with a client somewhat recently. I've like blocked it all out. And I was like, you know, uh, you know, and I just, like you said, it's kind of trusting my gut, but more going about like what I would want to learn. And mm-hmm. what we ended up doing was sending some beta, I call them beta testers, like to go through and give us feedback on it. And those testers verified what I was saying, but she still never changed it. And so I was like, there's only so much I can do. And I made some suggestions on like other modules, but it was funny. I did kind of step into that role. I've completely forgotten this. I didn't enjoy it, but I wish I would have met you and had this plan and structure when I was first creating my course because it would have saved so much time, so much energy. But I'm sorry, I'm like just like blabbing here, but I, I wanted to tell you too, when my course got more successful, I finally hit six-figure launches when I did really narrow in. I don't want to call it the promise, but the outcome because I ditched the title VA and I was like, you will have the skills to actually work as a marketing assistant. Whereas all of my competition, other VA courses were teaching like business setup, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I have leaned into that and I didn't even realize I was really doing it, but that's when I stood out. And then every lesson, I didn't even know I, I was doing this, Cat. Every lesson, I start with a slide with me with my unicorn shirt. And I'm like, this is why we're doing this lesson. And I probably could have done better knowing what I learned today. But I can see I was kind of reinforcing, like, you will be able to work as a marketing assistant. And it's so much more about freedom and flexibility. <laughs> but yes, I was, like, almost but, there. <laughs> no, no, but that too. Yes. And it's so... When you build a course, it's just so much freaking work to do it, right? I mean, you know, it's so hard. People are pouring their heart and soul into these programs. And like you said, it's so hard to give someone that feedback of like, this isn't hitting the mark for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of low hanging fruit that if you catch early enough, you don't have to go back and re-record. And even if you've recorded a ton of stuff and it's not hitting the mark, there are other tweaks that you can make, shifts that you can make with the other elements of your program to encourage engagement. Because yes, your students are adults and they are independent learners and they are intrinsically motivated and all of that, right? That's true. And they're going to choose whether or not to invest in your program. They're going to choose their own priorities. And there's so much that you can do as the educator that actually makes it easier for them. They've already chosen they want to learn from you. So make it easy for them by encouraging their motivation, keeping them engaged, making all these tiny, tiny little educator moves that help them feel like they're making progress and help them feel like the time they're spending in your program is really valuable. Oh my gosh, I love that. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of this insight. I think it's really going to open some of my marketing assistant's eyes. And I think like you said, they might already be doing this and now they have a term for curriculum design. They can still kind of fill that hybrid role in between like loading up Kajabi and supporting and launch events when they know they're client, but I just love it so much. So how can we work with you if we have clients that are just like beyond our help right now? Like what does your container look like? I work with clients in two different capacities. One is a VIP week. And that could either look like 
you know, I've got thoughts swirling around my head and we get everything mapped out. So you just have that checklist of content to create so that you can get it up and running. The other VIP week is I'm hitting a wall here. I've got students through the program. No one's engaged. Everything feels hard. Let's spend a week investigating and looking for problem solving. So that's my VIP week that I work with folks. And then on the other hand, if you've got a client who wants to build a course from the ground up and wants a curriculum designer involved in all of the design step by step and week by week, I also do that with clients. I love that because I have spent so much time fixing my clients tech or like moving them to the next platform and like having to go back. And I'm like, if you would just invest in the right tools from the beginning, you would save so much time and pain and actually get the outcomes that you're talking about, which is student success. Do you know what like stats are on graduation rates and progress rates and courses? Do you have anything like that to share? Like, how do we know like our clients are off when it comes to that? I don't have a statistic for you because Some people will say things like, you know, oh, like only 8% of people finish online courses. And the reason why I don't know how reliable that is, is because not every program is designed to be finished or like, you know, completed start to finish. Mm -hmm. There isn't a standard measure, I think, that you can use because for, again, what actually matters here is it doesn't matter that every student watched every video. I don't think so. It matters what they can do with their learning. So if students have met that program goal or that sales page Mm -hmm. promise, whatever that is, and that is super objective, which is why it's hard to measure, then you know that you're obviously hitting the mark. What I will say is you need to look at trends it can be really hard because that's holding yourself really accountable. If 60% of your students are dropping off after the third out of 10 modules, that's a problem. (laughs) Like I would say that's a pretty big problem you need to address. So whatever that trend is, if the trend is that the majority of your students report that they have made the growth that they wanted to make at the beginning of the program, that's amazing. This is also, by the way, God, there's so much we could talk about. One of the reasons why I love encouraging students to write out their own goals at the start of every program. So like the educator has their goal, right? But what's your goal? How is this going to impact your life? So students would, you know, get them to write it down, maybe submit it in a form, maybe not, maybe keep it private, whatever it is. That way they can measure what matters to them because what matters to you as the educator, as the course creator is different. So let your students decide that measure of success and then let them self-report on it. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I see such the overlap with copywriting right now and like the questions oh, we yeah. ask when we're onboarding. And I love that we're just giving everyone that next step because I'm all about empowering our marketers to have exceptional services and just like keep thinking, like keep going down that line. So thank you for sharing. Where is the best place to connect with you, Kat? Connect with me on Instagram. So my name is Kat O'Brien, and my Instagram handle is Kat O underscore Brian, which is kind of complicated. But instead of an apostrophe, it's an underscore. And follow me there. We've got some big shifts coming in 2024. And when I say we, I just mean me. I do. So you can connect with me and follow along. <laughs> me and my agency of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, what a treat. I hope this empowers you. I hope you're feeling good that you could absolutely step up in this role for your clients and filter their courses through these new lenses that Kat gave you today. I know that 
they really appreciate you. And like I said in the interview, I've done this for clients where I've helped them do some of the interviews, do some of the research to find out what people are really saying about the course and how we can make it better. And it all becomes part of the marketing cycle. And this is why I struggle. What are we? Who are we? What are we about? Marketing assistant does not cut it at all. Virtual assistant does not cut it at all. When you have a brain, this freelance business can be so much more than you ever thought. And there's a whole niche for you to help with course creators, membership site owners who are into online education and need your help, especially if you have an education background. And this is clicking for you today on the podcast. Okay, two things. One, if you're doing this kind of work already, if you are a marketing assistant, if you help with email marketing, social tech, if you're building funnels, if you're doing graphic design, I would love to have you inside our digital marketers work group. It's a community of other like-minded service providers who are going places and getting out of the trenches of hourly work onto bigger paychecks, bigger projects, and better clients. Come join us. It's application only. We're going to open again in April. And I also wanted to tell you about this other thing happening. My friend, Sage Polaris, a copywriter, has a copy sales booster membership that's open right now. So if you've been wanting to improve your sales copy, if you like fast and efficient ways, then you need to utilize her templates and her coaching inside her sales messaging membership. I'll put my affiliate link below. Feel free to reach out to me, DM me, ask me about these programs, what copy writing courses are best for you. Here's the thing copywriting messaging, it is crucial for any marketer. You need to be able to sell yourself. You need to be able to help your clients sell their services. You need to know copywriting, conversion copywriting. And Sage can help you triple your client sales. She can help you shave 20 hours off all the copywriting you're probably doing right now and you don't even know it. And you can emerge yourself with other high-level business owners who are learning conversion copywriting. Okay, so check out copy sales booster below in the show notes. And then next week, I'm going to see you for a very special guest. I hope in the meantime, you will send me a DM. Let me know what you thought, how this changed your mind about digital courses and the services you're offering. But also love a five-star review. I can't help but ask. Trying to get to 100 could use your help. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're someone who is a smarty pants, who's really looking to improve your services and be exceptional. I'm so glad you're here listening to this podcast. DM me over at Instagram at Emily Reagan PR, and I'll see you next week. If you want to start earning income as a digital marketing service provider or digital marketing assistant, you only need your laptop. You can tap into what online business owners really need help with by downloading my top 10 most requested tasks. These are the services I did for years for my clients behind the scenes. You can take this download and apply it to your own business and start by offering these very same services. If you want to niche down in digital marketing, this is your guide. Just use the link in the show notes or go to emilyreaganpr.com slash services. That was the word. That was the word I was looking for at the beginning. Okay. I was like, what is a smart teacher word? (laughs) What did you call it? I'm like terrible podcast host right now. No, no. There's a million different ways you can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. The promise, the the course outcome.